We're live for episode two of the Get on the Line College Basketball Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Ben, esteemed mid-major and sub-mid-major conference basketball officer. Ben, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Well, we're, do- we're doing we're doing our- as well as we can be with all these games being canceled. And, uh, you know. It's a lot it's, of games. It's, being, it's a lot of games being canceled, but we're going to... We're going to talk about the games that are happening, and we're going to preview some some of the upcoming conference play. We're really excited for conference play, and honestly, we're we're going to make opportunities out of these obstacles, and we are going to, you know, get pe- the people caught up before conference play starts because a lot of these conferences still haven't started. The they haven't started because of all the delays. Or um, even worse, they've been handing out some forfeits. Yeah, which. Although I've seen some are getting rescinded. Yes, they're rescinding some of them. I think the ACC is one of them that's rescinding. Okay. Um, and then A-10 hasn't started. I, I know A-10's pushed some game back. Uh, Summit, Summit's persevering, which is another team we're going to... SEC is persevering. We got. Oh, they, well, we did have one game, game get canceled tomorrow, but we have three more going. If uh, SEC football... SEC sports will persevere over COVID, and um, you know, speaking of SEC, I, I guess let's let's kind of get into the agenda of, of the night so far. So Ben and I are going to open up by discussing the SEC games that take place tomorrow on the 29th, and we'll give you some spreads of those, our picks, as well as keys to victory for each of the games. Then we'll pre- go ahead and preview the Atlantic Sun. The Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, also known as the MAC. Um, and then we're going to preview Atlantic 10. That's our big conference of the night. And then close it off with probably Ben's, one of Ben's favorite conferences, the Summit League, a league that he really knows pretty well. Uh, he, he, he dabbles in some gambling on the Summit League. Let's just say that. So, Absolutely. Ben. What's the first game you want to take a look at? I mean, I think we have to talk about LSU and Auburn to start. Obviously, the biggest right. game. What well, I mean, you could say Tennessee Alabama is also a great game, but I think it's the biggest game on the schedule just because LSU's not proven yet, and uh, Auburn's looking like one of the best teams in the country. It's an interesting matchup. You know, Auburn's got a lot of offensive firepower. LSU's got a lot of defensive firepower that we've seen thus far. Uh, what do you think the keys for an LSU win would be, Casey? Well, first off, what's what's the spread of the game for, for our Four. Four. So it is four at Auburn. Um, and Opened at and two and a half, and it, it's gone up to four during the day. Yeah. So, and and I think I think you and I both said last week we, we thought it would be four and a half, five range, and – it's it's gone up to that over the course of the week. It opened at two and a half, which we both thought was was pretty low. low. Um, so the, the the keys for an Auburn victory are to me just just get out and run. Um, this this LSU team has shown at times very to be very vulnerable in the fast break, especially in the second fast break. Um, you know after. Even when we do stop ball on on transition, we we do not defend passing lanes very well, especially from a trailer position. We've been 
in you know the the ways you beat an LSU team this year are just like any other year. If you can hit your threes, it's going to be a long night for LSU defensively. I I will say I think they're going to do a pretty decent job on Jabari Smith, but if if he gets I'd say the magic number is 23. If he gets over 23 points, I think the likelihood of an LSU win goes significantly down. On the flip side, for an LSU win, they, they're going to have to press. I, I, to me, that's pressing's a way you kind of avoid teams running on you in a weird way because it, it is counterintuitive. It speeds up the games in some ways. But in a way, you're always in front of them. Well, to press, you have to put the ball in the bucket. Well, it's an important part. That's been, but that's been LSU's problem. Is when they're not pressing, they can get ran on. Out of, out of, I mean, like, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, countless times in that Belmont game, they were just getting easy buckets over our heads, and that's Belmont. You know, that, no, no disrespect to Casey Alexander and the Fighting Bruins, but they're not, they're not Arbor. I'd say for LSU, it, it's going to be to turn over KD Johnson and make him very mortal. The other key is is going to be inside. It's going to be Efton Reed against Walker Kessler. That's this is this is the first real test for Efton Reed. It's going to be the first time he's playing against someone else who is a five-star talent in college basketball. And you know, you and I both have our thoughts on. Walker Kessler, we don't think he's the best, but he's he's have he's having a pretty decent year, and he's definitely having a better year than anyone from North Carolina, which you know. I mean, he's having a better year than Efton. I mean, he started better. He he's played oh, yeah. more basketball though at this level. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, I I was also in the camp of the Walker Kessler thing, but man, that's what jumped out to me today was, and we should explain this last. Uh, last podcast about some of these Kinpom numbers, what they actually mean. Like, Walker Kessler is at 18% on the block percentage. Block percentage is the percentage of opponents' two-point shots that are blocked while the player is on the court. So while he's on the court, he's blocking 18% of the opponent's two-point shots. By far first in the SEC, and I want it, it's second in the nation. So he's playing great. He's protecting the rim. Awesome. Also, number one is Jamarian Sharp from Western Kentucky. 7'5", 240. He's blocking 20% of shots. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to block some shots. At some um, and I, I, I just, the prediction though on the game would be Aaron 77, LSU. 73. I, I do think Jabari Smith just gets a little too too loose and the the guy the guy who's really gonna dictate a lot of things for LSU tomorrow is gonna be Xavier Pence. And that I'm looking at that guard matchup between He needs to win the guard matchup and, and Wendell Pence Green. And then you're looking at the other matchup in, in the post with Efton and Walker Kessler. There's, it's, it's, it's really going to be a game of matchups, which is every game, but I've, it's, 
I've not seen it as centric this early in a college basketball season as as previously. Yeah, I didn't write that down, but it was one of my keys. But that's going to be big. I mean, Xavier Pinson has to win the point guard matchup. He's going to have to play better defense on Window Green and Katie Johnson than they play on him, and he's going to have to score more than they do because they have way more options. Uh, but but my keys to the game for LSU first stop Jabari. I mean, you just can't let him get going. Once he gets going, he's lethal, man. And you need to make him stop and take shots. You cannot let him get going to the rim, and then he gets comfortable and then gets a shot going. The first couple of games, he didn't play that well because he was settling for the jump shot. He wasn't driving to the paint. But since then, something's clicked. He gets to the paint early, and then he gets in rhythm, gets a shot off. Uh, my second key to the game was something Will Wade mentioned last night on his radio show. He said, we need to get to 70 points to win this game. And that is absolutely true. I think the men need to get to 75 to win this game. They're going to have to put the ball in the bucket. And then my third key is you gotta, your auxiliary players have to make some shots. I mean, Fudge is going to have to make some shots. Mawani's going to have to put in a corner three. Gaines is going to have to make a shot. He's going to have to make a three-pointer. These other, some of these other guys are going to have to make some timely shots. Also, someone who's going to have to step up scoring-wise is, is going to be Brandon. Brandon Murray's going to have to make his shots. You know, you and I you and I both have felt that the writing on the wall for this team is going to be Brandon Murray creating some offense and, and kind of taking over in some of these SEC games. Because this year... Whereas in years past, when you had a Skyler Mays, you had a Javante Smart, you had a Tremont Waters, you had Cam Thomas last year, uh, to, to the detriment of the team at times, you had guys who could create their own shot, especially from three-point land. And this year, we don't really have that as much. And that's why Xavier Pinson and Brandon Murray are really going to have to show that they're ready to, you know, lack of better terms, create some offense. You know, I mean, this not not the bash will lead, but his offenses aren't really score for themselves. You know, a Princeton offense, something something really fundamental where we're back to wearing people and the system works. It is very talent dependent. It is. You know, we do have matchup dependent. (laughs) Yes, extremely matchup dependent. And they'll get good matchups. Oh, they will. Cause uh, Auburn, Auburn, Auburn likes to uh, Auburn likes to switch it well as well, but they have to switch one through four because they don't want Walker isolated on the guard. But sometimes this season they have been forced to switch with him. And man, if you get him switched on Benson or Murray, you have to take him, man. That ha- you have to win that matchup every single time this game. I I agree. Uh, well, I had some keys to the game for Auburn. For Auburn, I think they're going to have to run. Obviously, what we said, LSU has struggled with some transition defense at times. I think if they start running and forcing some LSU turnovers, they're going to go a long way in this game. And I think they just need to shell up, really. And I mean, if I'm playing LSU in this game, I would make LSU prove to me that they're going to make shots from outside first. To start the game, I'm going to make them prove to me they're going to make shots from outside. I'm going to shell up, protect the paint, not let Easton or Days get to the rim. I'm going to make them prove it to me. If they can, then they're probably going to be in good for a good night. But if they go for the first 10 minutes and they're 0 a 6 from threes, it's not going to go well. 
anything else on that game? Oh, I had a uh, Alex Fudge, Alex Fudge stat. Okay, so uh, we were talking about block rate earlier. Alex Fudge has a 5.6% block rate and a 5.5% uh, steal rate. Only one college basketball player has ever kept that up for an entire season. Do you know who it is? It's a recent player. It's a recent player. 5%? It's not It's not a big, it's not a center. It's not a center. Is it? It's a wing. It's a wing, and is it a major conference or? He played in a major conference. He plays in the NBA currently. Plays in the NBA currently. And also a recent player. I'm going to say... Patrick Williams. Just going to take a stab at a player like that. It's Matisse Thibel, one of the best defensive players in the NBA currently. And, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to keep up those kind of numbers, but that's, that's rare air to be in for right now. And so he's at 5.6 and 5.5%. The only players to ever go over 4% and 5% are Fudge, Thibel, and Gary Payton. Two, Gary Payton. Mm-hmm. Gary Payton, the second. Yeah, <laughs> they, they did not have the recent Gary uh, Payton. block percentage. No, they did not. When Gary Payton was playing basketball, unfortunately. Um, All right, you want to roll into some list. conference previews? Yeah, let's. Uh, I was, I was going to just give give a pick for Kentucky. Arkansas. Oh, yeah, yeah. we got to reveal the lines for those. Okay, so what's your line for Mizzou at Kentucky? I, I said Kentucky 14. I said Kentucky 16. Okay. You know what? It's Kentucky 19 and a half. So uh, wow, a- the, the bookmakers has caught on to how bad Mizzou is. Because the yeah. Mizzou-Kansas line, I believe, was 20. And I think they won by 40. Yeah, and- Something along those lines. They are not a great basketball team. They're going to be an easy layup for this top six, seven teams in the SEC. Would you lay it? Yes, Absolutely. I would, I would lay it too. Because they're gonna get flooded with the athleticism. Yeah, key, keys to victory for Missouri. Pray, uh, keys to Kentucky. Hopefully, Tashiwa gets hurt early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show up. Yep. For I Kentucky. agree. Keys to victory for Mizzou. Pray. Um, what Arkansas? Uh, Arkansas at Mississippi State. You said Arkansas five and a half. I said Arkansas too, and I want to check this again. But earlier, Mississippi State was favored in this ball game. Wow! Yes. For those of you who don't know, uh, one of the co-hosts that isn't me, so you know, process elimination for yourself. But the thinks that Arkansas is not a very good basketball team and has engaged in some Mississippi State. Mississippi State minus three and a half. That is. That is what we friends call a trap line. Um, I did think it was gonna be very low. I was teetering. I was. I almost went Arkansas one, but I gave him two points. And um, it's not surprising to see Mississippi State favored. You know, three and a half is a little surprising. But I mean, Arkansas hasn't played one good game. I would consider them playing really well in. So I'm not that surprised by that, honestly. All right, so what about... They beat that Cincinnati team, though. They did. <laughs> Big win. 
All right. Yeah. So what? So what about Tennessee at Alabama? I said Bama one and a half. I said Tennessee one, and it's Bama two. Okay. So I mean, it's basically a coin flip game. They're saying. I mean, th- this is essentially the same game as LSU Auburn in some ways. You know, Tennessee. Well, at least Auburn has capable bigs. I mean, if you're Tennessee, it's the same as LSU. Muck it up, make it an ugly game. And if you're Bama, play fast, hit your threes. I mean, if this game gets into the – if this game goes over 75 for each team, Bama's going to win. If it stays under, Tennessee's going to win. That's how I see it, basically. But, yeah, before conference previews, who's your fraud team of the week? My fraud team of the week? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, how about you go first? <laughs> I haven't thought about my it. Fraud, my fraud team of the week is COVID. Uh, COVID, you're <laughs> a stupid fraud. You're not going to ruin this season, and screw you. We're going to march on. We're going to have a tournament. All these great mid-major teams that Ben and I love, we're going to we're gonna keep covering them. We're going to give them the shine that they deserve because they're awesome, and we're not going to have another season ruined by you, COVID. So you're the fraud of the week, and we're going to march on. My fraud team of the week is the eighth-ranked team in the nation. I think the Iowa State Cyclones, correct? Cyclones. I don't think they're that good. I don't, and they play, they play, they play Baylor Saturday, and they may at their own uh, arena, and they may get run off the floor by halftime. Can we talk about Iowa State for a second for the people who don't know the inside joke between you and I? Because Ben and I last year felt that that Iowa State team, the two and twenty-one team, was the best two and twenty-one team we had ever seen in our lives. Yeah. Every week they, every game they played hard. They, they did. Good basketball. They they played unselfish basketball. They were a very good bad team. They were two and twenty-one, but. Man, were those 21 – they fought in those 21 losses and they really fought in those two wins. And I'm not saying they're not a good team this year and they don't deserve – I think they deserve to be ranked based on their resume. The eighth-ranked team in the country is just a little much. For a team whose best wins are Creighton, Xavier, and Memphis. I mean, they played – they caught Memphis. Yeah, Iowa's not great. Most Iowa, but Iowa's not that great. I mean, they caught Memphis whenever Memphis was playing terrible. Now the Xavier win's going to be a good win. And I'm not – Creighton, I don't know. Creighton, Creighton's a little up and down. but uh, So they're around – the teams around them are USC and Arizona. Uh, I'll take those teams any day. What do you – early prediction on that line for Baylor, Iowa State. Baylor at Iowa State. Um, it'll be under 10. They'll get respect to Iowa State. It'll be like Baylor 8. I'd say 7.5. Yeah, it'll be something like that. All right, let's 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 move on to conference previews. Um, do you mind if we preview the Atlantic Sun first? Let's do it. That's what I have pulled up. All right, cool. So, you want me to go first? I'm going to go first. Right. Actually, I, I want to talk about a specific program. Um, and it's actually not Bellarmine, believe it or not. It's not Bellarmine. I want to talk about the Liberty Flames. First of all, 
Is there any, like, non-Power 5 school outside of the American where, like, a program, like, a sports program is, is as well put together as them? That's a good question. I mean, like, the only one that really came to mind was Coastal because Coastal won a natty in baseball. But when you look at what their football team's done, and I believe their football team's an independent Conference, so are they? I, I believe so, because that's why that's why they're always scheduling games last minute. Mm, gotcha. So, for Liberty as a football program to have Hugh Freeze and you, your basketball program's in the Atlantic Sun, and you're going out and you're playing, and you know they're in Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia. There's plenty of talent in that DMV area mm-hmm. for football and basketball. And Richie McKay, the basketball coach, has really kind of built a powerhouse with this with this Liberty Flames team. You know, the power vacuum with Andy Enfield leaving, someone had to rise to the top, and, and Richie McKay has, has built a great Liberty program that has rose to the top. That being said... I want to talk about Richie McKay and his star because I didn't know this. I don't know if you knew this. Richie McKay actually coached Liberty in 08-09. And he left the program when they were in the Big South. He left the program to go be a head assistant at Virginia under Tony Bennett. <laughs> and then he came back, uh, a grizzled veteran, and he took over a worse Liberty team than you know what, what he had left off. And he has... You know, I mean, they'll they they'll play anyone anywhere, and and that's what I respect about Liberty football, and that's what I respect about Liberty basketball. Last year they were thirty and four, and I think they they kind of felt that maybe I'm sorry, I'm sorry. In in, in nineteen twenty, they were thirty and four. That was that was probably their best team that they had, and then the tournament got canceled. Last year they were twenty three and six and lost in the NCAA tournament. And then in 1819, they were 29 and 7 and actually won a game in the tournament against Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. He's, he's really built a, a sustainable program there in Lynchburg. And I think, it's, I think it's time to, one, you know, commend him. But two, you, you kind of got to wonder. Wasn't well, this guy getting a better yeah, job? I mean, How old is he? He's a little older. Um, he's I got it pulled up right here. He was born in '65, so that's my dad's age. So he's 50, 56. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's fifty-six. Um, it's not terribly old. Yeah, it's not. It's not that old. I, I mean, if you're Maryland, you give him a call. Absolutely. I mean. I don't know what Maryland's doing. If I'm the co- I'm a coach, I don't want to go to Maryland right now, to be honest. I, I don't want to go to Maryland, but there's so much talent in that area. No, there is. So I'm assuming you're teeing this all up for your conference player of the year. My conference player of the year, my coach of the year, the Liberty Flames. They're currently eight and six, and and if you're listening at home, you're like, this team's eight and six. They stink. Put a lot in. Look, good teams. They. What I admire about the Atlantic Sun, for the most part, outside of one team, which really should have been my fraud of the week, but we'll get to them, is 
is they they went out and they played teams and it it takes a lot of cojones to go to LSU and play LSU. It takes serious one cojones to go and schedule LSU at LSU to go play Liberty at a neutral site to go play Stanford and BYU and, and teams of that caliber in the Hawaiian Diamond Airlines tournament, which Ben and I and all college basketball junkies are extremely thankful for that you gave us college basketball during that difficult stretch. And don't even get me started on Bellarmine and what they do in scheduling teams in the Atlantic Sun. So, you know, Liberty as well as the Atlantic Sun is a, is a very well-respected conference and it's a conference that I love, so I'm really looking forward to this. But yes, my coach of the year to lead off the preview is Richie McKay. Um, you know, I was going to give it to Bellarmine's coach, but we'll get to Bellarmine in a second in our in our team preview. And then my player of the year is well, Darius McGee, um, the the guard for Liberty. He, you know, he's coming in at an outstanding five foot nine, and he is every bit of that five foot nine. So he's he's a hell of a player. He dropped forty one the other night, and you know he's he's finally he's finally shooting the ball at an efficient clip with volume, and it's it's really impressive to watch. He's had one hundred forty nine threes for the year at a thirty eight percent clip. That's that's pretty damn impressive. Definitely is. Who's your coach of the year and player of the year? Same, uh, same guys you have. I mean, it has to be Darius McGee, top five in offensive rating right now, and by far the highest usage percentage of the conference, taking thirty eight percent of his team shots and shooting the ball efficiently. Man, I mean, doesn't get better than that. It's just dynamic off the dribble. His pull up game is incredible. He can go to the rim. He's not scared to go into the trees to the rim. Dynamic score. Great player. Yeah, it's it's impressive that he's had. He's gotten to the line, I believe, 49 times this year. Well, he's shot 49 free throws this year and th- through 14 games. That's pretty impressive for someone who's five foot nine and played against some pretty tough competition to this point. Uh, who's your first team? Uh, my next player on my first team would be Tavian Dunn-Martin, the uh, five foot eight transfer from Duquesne who's playing at Florida Gulf Coast right now. He's averaging 20 points, five rebounds, three assists a game. Or no, five assists, three rebounds a game. Shooting 40% from three, 83% from the free throw line. He's a high volume shooter. He's first in the conference in offensive rating, only best in uh, Darius McGee right now. He's dishing the ball to his teammates, second in assist percentage. He's getting to the line. He's third in foul shot in the league. He had 34 and 9 of 14 from three pointer at Loyola Chicago. In a really, really big game. He had 30 in OT loss to Canisius. I mean, the kid has come over from Duquesne and hasn't missed a beat. Another another small guard in this conference who's a dynamic scorer. Well, <laughs> I was I was thinking uh, when I was doing the preview, Ben, why, why do I have such a strong affinity for the Atlantic Sun? And I think what it is is <clears throat> as a 5'9 guard who loves to shoot it from deep, I resonate with Darius McGee, and I resonate with Tevian Dunn-Martin. Because Tevian Dunn-Martin, if he's past half court, he there's a chance he could shoot. I mean, there at any point in time, he could shoot. And it's really, 
it's really impressive to watch him go to work. And you know, you mentioned that Loyola Chicago game. That if if you don't if you don't know a lot about the guy, just pull that Loyola Chicago game, and he will pull up from anywhere. He's a very special player to watch. So you have my him third. as well on your team? Yeah, yeah, he's he's on my team as well. My third guy is going to be Jacob Agnovich. I have the pronunciation here, Ag Agnesovic. Um, I this kid is shooting fifty six percent from three, but he's only taking three threes a game. So part of me wants him to get that up to five, but then again, he's really not that kind of player. He just he's a great shooter. He can score in many different ways. He's six nine. He plays forward for Lipscomb. He has some go-to post moves. He he knows he's six nine. He takes advantage of that height difference when he hits a mismatch. He has some go-to fadeaway moves. He's a great three-point shooter, and the pick and pop game with him is 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 pretty deadly. Now, with that being said about him for Lipscomb, I have to bring up his counterpart with Asan. As Dula, who we talked about last week when we did the LSU Lipscomb recap, and and what a bummer it is that he did, he didn't get a play for Lipscomb in that LSU game. I will say that just giving him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to return to form and, and return for conference play, he's he's going to be on my first team, and you you kind of have to be excited if you're a Lipscomb fan that yeah the season's not going where you want it to be, but he comes back with how with how Jacob O has been going. You kind of figure, all right, you have two special players, and the thing I really like about Ignacevich is that he can play off ball on the wing as well as down low. Mm-hmm. So he is going to comp- complement a natural center like like Hasdula. I love Hasdula off the list. But did put him out as an honorable mention just because he hadn't played enough games. I thought really to put him on my list, but I did leave him out as an honorable mention. Uh, he had twenty-one and eight, three assists and three blocks in that road Dayton win. Yeah, and uh, my last guy is going to be Dylan Penn for Bellman. He's 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 the point guard for Bellman. He can he can really light it up from the field. And what's really impressive about him is, you know, even though he's a scorer, he plays within the offense. And if you don't know a lot about Bellarmine's offense, they, they don't really dribble. And by don't really, I mean they don't dribble. They're constantly passing the ball, constantly working off ball. And for you to be a scorer like that and, and trust the process and not want to go ISO all the time is pretty commendable. He plays exceptionally hard on the defensive end. And I like Dylan Penn, so he's going to be my last guy my first team. So I have Darius Nagahi, Tavian, Dunmartin, Jacob Agnavis, Ashant, Azad, Azdullah, and Dylan Penn. Yeah, I also have Dylan Penn. And um, Dylan Penn is an important cog in their team. They're mostly a three-point shooting team, yet he is the point guard and plays mostly in the paint, which is very strange. But he will get any guard he can in, in the paint, back him down, try to score in the paint, and then he can pass out to pretty much everyone else they have on the floor as three-point shooters. So it's kind of a weird one-in-four-out with the point guard being the guy who's inside. It's kind of a strange system, but it really works for them. Uh, 
Yeah, he's he's averaging 16-5 and 5.5 and right now, 50% from the field. I mean, he's going to be shooting well whenever he's shooting so low. Uh, my other two guys that I have are different from yours. I have Kevin Samuel, the six foot ten senior from Antigua for uh, Florida Gulf Coast. He's first in efficient field goal percentage, fifth in defensive rebounding percentage, and first in block percentage in the conference. He's uh, he's averaging eleven point two points and nine rebounds, and seventy percent from the field right now. He's just a beast on low head. Nineteen and twelve in a W versus Dartmouth. 20 and 12 and a loss to Canisius, 18 and 12 and a W at Robert Morris. He's got six double doubles in 13 games this year, I think, 12 games, something like that. And then my other player is a guard, Jackson from Jacksonville State. It's Darian Adams, the senior. Um, I want I had to include a player from this Jacksonville State team. They've been way too scrappy to ignore. They've gone to Wichita State, lost by three points. He had a 14 and eight game in that uh, game, and then they went to Alabama. And gave Alabama every single uh, second that they could. They lost by six, ended up at the end. He had 18 and seven in that game. And then he also had a 20 point, eight assists, five rebound game. And OT lost to Troy, which was a heartbreaker. I want to say it went to double overtime. And they've just been an incredibly frisky team with these harder, harder uh, opponents that they've scheduled. And uh, Darian Adams is leading the scoring for them, so I thought I'd have to highlight him. No, I just had his duelist honorable mention, and I think he will be on there by the end of the year, especially because, you know, I only have one big man on my list, and this league isn't really a big man league, and I think he's going to take advantage of a lot of these matchups he's going to get in this league. Yep, and what about your team rankings? So first in this league, I have Liberty. And then I have Eastern Kentucky, which is a team we really didn't talk about. But, man, Eastern Kentucky can ball. They can score the basketball. They're pretty athletic for a team in the A-Sun. They have some really good players. And then third, I have Florida Gulf Coast. I think um, I think Dunmartin keeps this pace going into the conference schedule. And I think he's really going to do some great things in this, uh, this league, his first year in this conference, coming over from Duquesne. And I think they'll have a really good season. We are we're kind of all over the place with with our team rankings, so so this will be fun. Um, if, if you don't know anything about the Atlantic Sun, I, I guess the one stat that I would want to highlight for you would be three point three point attempt percentage. You know how what percentage of a team's shots at the goal, you know whether that's free throw, two point, three point, come from the three-point line. Um, Liberty is third in the country. They attempt 45%. Not too behind them is sixth in the country with Eastern Kentucky, and at 11th is Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, Eastern Kentucky, you know, like Ben said, they are a good team. They are an athletic team. And another thing that highlights them is how high they are on a turnover percentage in the country. They are, in terms of ranking, they're 28th in turnover percentage which for a team in the Atlantic Sun is extremely impressive. You know, if you're going to be that high in turnover percentage, it's usually going to be a team covered with five and four stars, like your VCUs, like your LSUs, the teams that really trap you and cause havoc. So the fact that Eastern Kentucky is doing that in the Atlantic Sun is really interesting. 
I'm really looking forward to that Eastern Kentucky Liberty because that is going to be an absolute war. It's going to, at times it might look like a rock fight, at times it's going to look like a three-point garage. So, with that being said, my number one team is Liberty. Number two, I actually have Bellarmine. And because I, I, I think that they kind of counteract what Eastern Kentucky do. And them playing the teams that they did is really going to benefit them later on. And for those of you who don't know, let me enlighten you on this schedule that Pellerman had. They opened up the year against Purdue. They played Murray State. They played St. Mary's. They played Gonzaga. They played UCLA. A week later, they played West Virginia. They also went and played Loyola Marymount. You know, those are extremely high in opponents. Now, did they win any of those games? No. But when you play that level of competition, you are getting better. And the way and the way the the way they play is all about comfortability and your comfortability under pressure. I think getting that exposure early on to those teams is going to allow them to handle pressure against Liberty, allow them to handle pressure against Eastern Kentucky. So they're going to be two. I think they get the ship under control, and they kind of take control. I have I have Eastern Kentucky at three um, for the reasons you said, and then I have Lipscomb at four, actually. Um, when Lipscomb gets... When Lipsum gets Azdula back, it's going to be really interesting to see how they start playing, and as well as what sets they they run. You know, if they just if they run some some pick and roll with Azdula with Agnovich setting like a flare screen on him to go to the basket, and you know he comes up does a pick and pop as well, they're gonna you know they're gonna create some matchup nightmares with with those two down low. So I, I have them three, I have them four. I'm sorry. Uh, FGCU, I have five. I, I don't really think this FGCU team's that good. Um, they that loss to Canisius, you know, you were talking about it and, and mentioning some of the, some of the player stats. And and while yes, the player stats have been impressive, you you lost to Canisius. I mean, Canisius is two hundred eighty second in Kenpom. That is a horrible, horrible loss. And yes, they you know they went to Loyola Chicago. They played them. They only lost by twelve. Um, you know, Tevin Dunn Martin was every bit of impressive in that game as as ever. And you know they they got the exposure to USC. They they had a great win against Rhode Island, but I don't I don't think they're really going to do it. And a team you know you mentioned from Jacksonville State. I would say Jacksonville State's gonna gonna ruin someone's Cinderella story in the tournament. And I don't mean I don't mean NCAA tournament. I mean yeah, conference, conference tournament. Uh, I, think, I think one of these high absolutely. end teams, you know, a Bellarmine in Eastern Kentucky, maybe even a Liberty, they're they're gonna potentially trip up against Jacksonville State. Yeah, and I only went three, but if I had four and five, I would go Jacksonville State and Lipscomb. I think Jacksonville State has a toughness about them that's gonna. I think benefit them in this league. They're gonna be able to bully some teams around, and because a lot of these teams in this league are finesse teams and ball movement teams and shooting teams, and 
Jacksonville State is really tough physical team. They'll guard you and they'll get to the hole. Uh, but my marquee matchup was Lipscomb at Liberty on February 8th. One, because it's the day for, before my birthday. But two, it's just going to be an interesting matchup between Lipscomb's inside play and Liberty's outside play. And I think it's just going to be fascinating to watch. That's a good one. Um, I would say, I'd say my matchup's going to have to be January 15th with FGCU and Liberty. Um, I, one, it's going to be a good test for Liberty early on. But I do want to see if FGCU is as fraudulent as I think. And that's going to be really the first test for Liberty as well at conference. <laughs> so that, that, that's going to match All right, what are you going to move into now? I was going to let you take, I was going to let you take the wheel. I was, I was Let's go to the Summit League then. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, you, you lead us off. This is your league, man. So my player of the year is going to be kind of a uh, cop-out, but I'm going to go with Max Abambas. And he's obviously the most established player in this conference. And, I mean, what more can you say about the kid? I mean, everybody saw him last year in the tournament. He's a great scorer, undersized guard. But, man, he can score from anywhere on the floor. He's got a top-five offensive rating in this conference, second-highest usage percentage. They really count on him to do a lot of things. Sixth-highest in assist percentage for his team, shooting 44% from three. Shooting a lot of threes, 21-3 and 3.5 right now. He had 38 in a W over Tulsa, who's a very good mid-major. They had 28 in OT loss to Oklahoma State, where they gave him everything they could handle. And, I mean, he's kind of like Darius McGee, undersized guard, not scared of anybody. He can shoot it from anywhere on the floor. And he's going to carry this Oral Roberts team, where however far they go, he's going to carry him there. They're obviously not as good as they were last year, losing O'Bannon to Texas Tech. So they don't really have that pick-and-pop partner for him or that inside presence, that offensive rebounder. But they're still a decent team, and I mean, he's still I think he's still the best player in the conference. Yeah, I, it, it is really a shame that, uh, that O'Banna left him because you're seeing, you're seeing that he, you know, he's still great, and I still think he's probably going to wind up in the NBA, probably drafted late second round. But it, it's just a bummer that that O'Bannon didn't stay. You know, I, I, I get why he didn't. It just sucks. Yep. Uh, my second player, I assume you also have Max Abmus. I, yes. Okay. I have Max so, <laughs> so my second player is going to be Douglas Wilson, the six foot seven senior from South Dakota State. Second in the... Second in the uh, conference in offensive rating, he's looking at 15 and 5.5 rebounds right now. Top of the conference in the usage percentage last time I looked. First in offensive rebounding percentage. He's grabbing over three offensive rebounds a game. Uh, I mean, this is a South Dakota State team. If you watched them, they play a frenetic pace. They shoot a lot of three-pointers. They share the ball. And Douglas Wilson's kind of spearheading them. He had 20 and 10 in a W versus Bradley, 24 in a W versus Nevada, and 18 and 6 in a W versus Missouri State. All very quality teams that they got good wins over. Who was the um, Power Five team they beat on the buzzer beater? I, I I just popped in. I want he hit the shot to beat them. I can't remember who the Power Five team was that they beat on the buzzer beater. I want to say it was like Oklahoma State or something like that. But he hit a big three point buzzer beater in that game. 
You also have Douglas Wilson. I do have Douglas Wilson. Was it Washington State? Yes, that's who it was. Yes, I also have Douglas Wilson. Well, my next player, I think, Casey, if you would look into him, he would be one of your favorite players in the country. And he this he's going to be on one of your favorite teams in the country. I need you to watch this team. And it's St. Thomas, Minnesota, and it's Riley Miller, the six foot three senior guard. He's averaging 18 points a game, three assists, two and a half rebounds. This kid is averaging shooting 10.5 three-pointers per game. And he's... And he's making 4.8 of them. He's shooting 40%. He's got an incredibly high offensive rating because of this. Now, he does have a low usage rating because he doesn't really do much other than catch the ball and shoot. He just catches the ball and shoots three-pointers. He's not the distributor. He's not taking it off to the rim and, and laying it off to the big guy. He is catch and shooting. And you got to respect it. If you type in Riley Miller, the picture that comes up, you will swear you played this guy at your local basketball. Like, you will swear you played this guy at your local YMCA. This kid, just, I'm not going to spoil it, just go look him up. It's, he, but he is a sniper. If you shoot 10 and a half, if you shoot 10 and a half threes a game, that is, that is beyond it. Everything I said about Agnovich with um, Lipscomb and how he only takes three and he's shooting forty, you know, fifty-six percent, and that's that, that's a problem. You got to take more. Well, Riley Miller is walking through that. So who's your fourth guy? Uh, I have Rocky Cruiser, Rocky Krauser, the uh, the big man for North Dakota State, six foot ten senior. He's almost at 14 points, 8 rebounds a game, 47% field goal, second in defensive rebounding percentage, top 10 offensive rating. He's one of the few inside presences, I would say, in this uh, in this conference. And he had 20 and 8 in a W versus Cal Poly, 21 and 10 in W versus Idaho, and 24 and 10 in W versus Pacific. Um, you know, North Dakota State not having. As good of a team as they had the last couple years, but Rocky Cruiser has been a constant in this team. I want to say this is his fifth year. He's a fifth-year senior, and he's probably the most dominant big man we'll see in this conference. You also had Rocky Krauser, or you had somebody else? I did not. You did not? Who'd you have? I have Riley Miller's running mate, Anders Nelson, mm-hmm. another one who can just light it up. And, you know, I started looking into – uh, the St. Thomas team. Um, I, I I think I played him in high school. <laughs> it was the two A private school down the street. Uh, we played him, we beat him, but you know it's it's great to see. And you know while we're on St. Thomas, I, I did want to say I do think their head coach Johnny Tower is probably gonna get coach of the year like i don't think that's a crazy prediction i don't think so either and so he's he's my coach of the year while we're on the st thomas topic um and why johnny tower is going to get coach of the year is if you don't know st thomas was a division three school last year so they are coming from d3 to d1 and you can say well it's just summit league it's 
it's a big jump. And to kind of contextualize what that jump means athletically, because again, when you're a D3 school, you can't really give athletic scholarships. They don't exist. Uh, and, and I think a stat that really contextualizes that on Kempom is the adjusted efficiency for offense and adjusted efficiency for defense. On offense, they're able to use the three-pointer, which is the great equalizer. Uh, you know, the, the three-pointer the, the three is kind of like the air raid in a way. If you're a heavy three-point offense, it's, 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 you know, if you're hitting, yeah, you can score and you can keep up. But if you're not, games can get ugly really quick. And on the flip side, so their adjusted efficiency on offense is 105.5. That is 86 in the country. That's, that's, that's good. pretty good, especially, especially for a summit team. However, on the other side, their defense, where you're trying to get to 100, you know, 100 would be average in defense. You want to go lower. They're 115.2. That is 357th in the country. I believe there's 358 teams. Something like that. So they are nearly dead last. Um, and, and that has a lot to do with that, that athleticism that differential that they're working with. But I do think that the three-point barrage, they are number one in three-point attempts. They attempt nearly 50% of their field goals. No, well, actually, it's more than 50% of their field goal. Yeah, it's, it's a, I think it's close to 60. It's, it's over. It's Yeah, I believe it's, over, it's close to 60% of their field goals. 50% of their points come from three-pointers. Yep. So they are, they are heavily dependent on the three-pointer, and that's why you, I had to highlight Andrew. Nelson and Riley Clark, they just they can light it up. Who's your Who's your last player? My last player is Trenton Massner, a, a former Northwestern State uh, demon. You know, Trenton Massner. The reason I The reason I wanted to highlight him is because one, Western Illinois is a, a pretty good team, and if there's going to be anyone that, that threatens South Dakota State. It, besides Will Roberts and it's it's gonna be Western Illinois. So I had to highlight him. Western Illinois has a huge test coming up against Iowa, and obviously they're probably not gonna win. But if if you can just keep it close and, and look competitive, that one holds huge for confidence, but two it does look good in the committee's eyes. And Tommy Masner is averaging 16 points a game. He's averaging six rebounds for a 6'2 guard, which is very impressive, and four assists. And, you know, this Western Illinois team right now is 11-3. and three. They're a pretty solid group. I wanted to highlight him. Yeah, and so my fifth player is one of his teammates, and that's Will Carius, the six foot seven senior. He's averaging 18 points and three rebounds, shooting 46% from three. One of their key offensive cogs. He's first offensive rating, however, on a low usage rate, so... That means a lot of catch and shooting, not a lot of dribbling and playmaking. But he's third in effective field goal percentage, third in true shooting percentage, and fourth in three-point percentage in the conference. And so man, he's just being a sniper right now. He's 22-6 and six versus Miami, Ohio at 26 points versus UT Martin at 25 versus Eastern Illinois. Western Illinois is going to be a force, I think, in this conference this year. They can score with anybody. Well, let's let's get into it. Also, who is your coach of the year? Um, I don't think it's gonna be St. Thomas's coach. I don't think they're gonna be able to win enough. 
they they have started the year one and one in the conference and could have easily started two and zero. The St. Thomas Denver game came down to the last couple possessions. They they could be two and zero, but man, I don't think it's gonna last the whole season. Um. Well, I think it's to be South Dakota State's coach because I think South Dakota State's gonna win this conference. I have them number one. I have Oral Roberts number two, and I have Western Illinois number three. Yeah, I have, I have South Dakota State one, obviously. I, I mean, you know, we, we can we can kind of make banter about the conference, but this is this is really a one conference. South Dakota State. Uh, let's let's make sure we timestamp this for for March Madness. I. Welcome to March Madness. You are filling out your bracket. You want to pick a 13-4 upset, a 14-3 upset. It's going to be South Dakota State. It's, South Dakota State is going to be one of those teams that, that you're going to come back to. Because they can beat anybody on any given day because they shoot a lot of threes and they have a lot of guys who could shoot well. And so that's – I think you'll like my marquee matchup, Casey, because it's South Dakota State at St. Thomas. And this may break the Division One record for threes taken in the game. I truly believe he could get close. I haven't looked up what it is, but I will after this podcast. But I think that it could get close. I really do. But but the thing is, by the metrics, they don't really take South Dakota State. That is, they don't really take that many threes. It's just when they do, they make them. They're, they're third in the country in three point percentage, but in terms of volume. They're 241st. So it's not like they're taking that many. They just, they're just knocked down. They do not miss. Um, I'll tell you, whenever you watch a San Diego State game, it seems like they're taking it a lot. <laughs> South Dakota State. It seems like they're taking a lot. <laughs> if you're shooting 42% from three as a team, you, you got up that. That is, that is unbelievable. 42% as a team. I, I, I'd be happy if a college team shot 37%. From three. I agree. Yeah, it's it, South Dakota State, Oral Roberts, Western Illinois. That's, I wouldn't be surprised if... Um... If Western Illinois won the conference, honestly, I think Western Illinois does have the offensive firepower to compete with South South Dakota State, and I wouldn't be surprised if they edged their way in there as well. All right, so we're going to move into the Atlantic 10, and my conference player of the year, I have two guys from this school, and the first one's going to be Hong Jung Lee, the six foot seven small forward from Korea, playing for Davidson this season, and... He was a good player last year and a good shooter last year, but he's taking a step up this year. Last year he was at 13 points per game. This year he's at 17.5. Still keeping up his same shooting percentage, 51% from the field, 42% from three, 83% from the free throw line. I mean, what can you say about this kid? He's got all the size. He's fearless taking to the bucket. His stroke is incredible. I mean, he can just shoot the basketball from anywhere on the court. He loves the corner threes. He loves threes in transition. He's got the highest offensive rate, or he's second in offensive rating to his teammate, Foster Lawyer, and he's fifth in true shooting percentage. I watched this Davidson-Charlotte game, 
and this was the first time where I was like, this kid is one of the best players in the conference this year. He was good last year, but he had 32-14 and 14 in that game against Charlotte. He had 25 in a game against Eastern Carolina. He had 23 in a win against Northeastern. And um, Davidson's gotten off to a really, really hot start. And the other player who's in this backcourt is Foster Lawyer, the Michigan State transfer. So last year at Michigan State, he played 17 minutes per game. Shot 29% from the field, 32% from three for 4.2 points per game. Now this year he's playing 10 more minutes, but still he's going from four points a game to 15.2. His three-point percentage has gone from 32% to 52%. Crazy. And he's gone from 29% from the field to 47% from the field. He's first in offensive rating in this conference. Top 20 in three-point percentage in the nation. And he had 27 points to 6 of 6 from 3 in the very first game of the year. The kid is a sniper. Nobody saw this coming. I don't think even the biggest Michigan State optimist last year saw this coming from Foster Lawyer. He also had 35 where he went 8 of 12 from 3 in a win against Northeastern. What do you think about those, Casey? Ben actually isn't the second player I was between, but my player of the year will also be Hunt Jungley. And if you don't know, let me enlighten you, there has been one Korean-born player ever drafted in the NBA. Uh, he never actually had a chance to play. I'm going to make a prediction that Hun Jungley will be the second Korean-born player drafted in the NBA and will be the first Korean-born player to score in the NBA. Um, he, he has real NBA potential. He's 6'7". He moves exceptionally well off ball. Uh, he has a great recognition of the high the high screen. Um, you know, if, if you're coming, you know, basic offense, pass, pick away, and, you know, you're coming around the arc looking to catch and shoot. He has an exceptional read on how to back back cut. And at the college level, oftentimes you see kids continue to just run into the defender. He knows how to work around screens. He knows how to get easy buckets off ball. He can create offense off ball, which is an extremely rare trait to have. And to have it at the college level is very rare, as well as in the Atlantic 10 because you know you and I consider the Atlantic 10 a, a major conference. I mean, there's probably going to be three, four teams in this conference that need to turn. And he's, he's every bit as good as anyone in this conference, and he's every bit as good as anyone in the country. So if you are a, a Korean basketball fan, you should be thrilled that this guy's you know, in the pipeline the first thing you see when you turn on Hung Jung Lee is just how smooth he is and everything he does from the dribbling to the pull-ups to what you said the off-ball movement just absolutely smooth in everything he does so you did not have Foster Lawyer I, he's not even on my uh, first team uh, 42% at 7 attempts I will say though on my first team I, I did kind of want to Space some space some teams out. Uh, give give everyone fair representation. Okay, so who's your next player? So 
So my next player is is going to be Yuri Collins for St. Louis. Um, I love Yuri Collins. He is an absolute mad. He, yep. he, I don't think he stops moving at all when he's on the court offensively or defensively. He is always running. He is always dribbling with his head up in transition. Against Boston College, he had 19 assists, uh, a school record. He's really good. He averages 10 a game, 7, seven 8 assists. He really commands the St. Louis offense. And St. Louis, they're going to have a chance to make the tournament. You know, like like the, the top half of the A-10, you know, there's five or six teams that, whether it's through conference play or through the tournament, through the A-10 tournament itself, are going to have the opportunity to go to the round of 64. Who's your second guy? Because I think uh, th- this is going to be one of the rare ones where we're actually going to have a lot of different players. Because I don't have Yuri Collins. Um, this is a guy that, man, I liked this guy a lot last year, and he had a lot of talent around him on his team last year, and pretty much all that talent has dissipated. That's going to be the point guard for UMass, Noah Fernandez. Uh, 16.8 points per game this year and five assists. He's shooting 48% from the field, 40% from three-pointer. He's got the second-highest offensive rating in the conference, top five in assists, 85% from the free-throw line. Now, that is one thing I noticed last year watching a lot of UMass basketball was that this kid at the end of every single game was going to make his free-throws, was going to close it out for his team, was going to handle the ball, was not going to turn it over, and they really relied on him for that. But they didn't really rely on him for offense. They had... Trey Mitchell, and they had a couple, uh, Carl Pierre, and a couple other pieces that have left him this year, mostly by transferring. I want to say they got a new coach, and they he had a lot of transfers go out, and he stuck with it. And uh, he's been rewarded this year. He's been playing a lot better. He's had a lot more responsibility offensively, and he stepped up to the plate. Well, let me ask you, uh, when I was looking at some of the numbers for the 8-10, I, I noticed that three-point percentage, they're fourth. Is the new coach more three-point dependent compared to last year's coach? I think it's just their personnel. You know, they don't have a really dominant big man in last year like Trey Mitchell, even though he was shooting a bunch of threes. But they're pretty much guards this year, and with Noah Fernandez leading that, I think that's why. I think that's why they're shooting threes. They don't really have any big guys they can count on. Okay, you want to know a big guy you can count on in this conference? I, I hope it's the same one. Is it Grant Golden from Richmond? Grant Golden from Richmond. You would swear that he's been playing for eight years. I mean, every single year you watch a Richmond game, you're like, is that the same white kid with the ponytail who's playing for Richmond? And yes, it is. It's Grant Golden. It's his sixth year, the six foot ten super senior, and he's arguably having his arguably having his. Best year of his career, he's at 16.2 points, 6 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Pretty much doing everything for this Richmond team. Almost 60% from the field, 45% from three-pointer. Not a lot of attempts, but still, it's pretty good. He's taken 30% of his team shots. He's got one of the highest usage rates in the conference. And uh, he's played best in their biggest games this year. The big Utah State game that they lost, he had 25 at 24 and 8. And their uh, win against Wofford, he had 21 points. And their win against NC State, that he had 19 and seven. And um, he's in, he's one of the best. He probably is the best big man in this conference, and he knows his way around this conference. That's for sure. The thing I'll say about Grant 
this Richmond offense, they, they there's a lot of Princeton elements of it, and it's essentially a Princeton offense. And the the resemblance between him and Cam Crosswick is, is mm-hmm. He's not as smooth mm-hmm. on the on the lollipop. He's not as smooth on the passes, but he knows where the ball is supposed like, to go. He knows where the ball is supposed to go. He's going to make some nice bounce passes. He's able to do the dribble lab action really well. And he's extremely – what he's probably better at Crestwood is, honestly, his finishing of the and his patience to, to get to his spot mm-hmm. and to rely on his size. He's, he's extremely comfortable. And, you know, kind of, I think a lot of that has to, to do with the fact that he's been playing in this conference for us on this uh, my last player is also another six-year super senior, and that's and that's Chuba Ohams from Fordham, a kid who's take who's taken a long time to develop. You know, he's had he, his first year he had a red shirt, and then last year I'm not sure if he was in a plan on coming back last year or not based on COVID or something. But he also got hurt last year and only played a handful of games. And this year he's coming out strong. He's looking at 14.5 points, 11.3 rebounds, and over two blocks a game. Shooting 57% from the field. Grabbing over three offensive rebounds per game. For a Fordham team who's not good this year, but I just wanted to highlight him. I think he's really he's having by far his best career year. He had 20-11 game, a 20-22 game, a 17-18 game, and he had five blocks in a game versus uh, Central Connecticut State. And he's really blossomed in this sixth year. And I don't expect Fordham to compete in this conference much. But, man, you're going to have to look out for him down low whenever you play Fordham. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of surprised you, you left off my next guy off your list. Um, and that's, that's Tyler Burton. Uh, I know I said I tried, I tried to split it up. But this kid, Tyler Burton, score any way possible. He he knows how to use his size inside when he gets a matchup. He's six seven. But he also has an extremely smooth stroke. He's taken five he's taken uh five threes a game and he's forty five percent from deep. He's averaging nineteen a game with seven rebounds. He's really able to complement Goldman inside and if, if Richmond does make the tournament, I think he's going to be one of those quote-unquote Cinderella players that, that may catch fire in March and, and have himself a good game. And he's shown it, he's shown it multiple times this year with, you know, 30 at Drake, obviously. And he's able to get 20. You know, he's, he can wake out of bed and get 20. And, you know, he'll get 30 pretty easily as well. So he's my fourth player. And then my fifth player is going to be my center. Osun Asuni mm-hmm. from Bonaventure. Bonaventure. Yeah. Yeah, and he is a he is as good of a rim protector as you can have in college basketball. Averaging three blocks a game, ten and seven offensively, and you know, he's he's another one who's been in this league for a very long time. Now a fourth year, fourth year guy. He's been a three time All A Ten defensive player, uh, three time All A Ten defense. Three time, you know, once was an A10 defensive player of the year, and then two time all A10. So he's he's proven to be a formidable foe in this league. And yeah, so to recap, 
my my first team was Yuri Collins, Tyler Burton for Richmond, Yuri Collins for St. Louis, in Jung League Player of the Year as well as starting on the All A10 team for Davidson, Grant Golden forward for Richmond, and then Usam Suni for St. Bonaventure. Yeah, I didn't really want to highlight anyone from St. Bonaventure because I don't think they've played up to their caliber of basketball yet this season. I do think they'll round into that, but man, they've played some really poor games this year, and I'm I'm kind of worried about them in this conference. I honestly thought they were probably going to win the conference before any basketball started getting played this year. I mean, obviously, I didn't see this coming out of Hyung Jung Lee. I didn't see this step up and play where Foster Lawyer was kind of a wild card. I mean, he didn't play well at all in Michigan State, but now I think I'll take Davidson to win the league. And I'll take Richmond in second, and I'll take the Bonnies in third. Yeah, so you, you know, you kind of have a very similar, similar path as nine. I, I have Davidson as one as well. And then I have the Bonnies at two. I do think they're going to round them to form. They're too well coached, too well established not to. At three, I actually have VCU. Um, it's, it's more of, I, I just think defense travels, and, you know, you, VCU has a brand, and they're going to play defense. They're fourth right now in defensive efficiency on Kempom, and they're going to—it's it's 40 minutes of hell, to say the least. And then fourth, I do have Richmond. I will say uh, St. Louis and Dayton, they, they, they're going to have chances to make the tournament if, if they can play well. But Dayton might be the most athletic team in this conference. They, they probably don't have the offensive skill to do a lot, but, man, they can run and fly around, and they can create a lot of problems. They beat Kansas this year, correct? Yes, they yeah. beat Kansas. That was a huge win. Dayton, you know, my, my note for Dayton is is they'll, they'll play to their comp. Uh, I mean, they only beat Southern by, by nine. Yep. They beat Kansas. It's just. And that was a huge win. That was a huge win. But I think my biggest win in this conference was Davidson's win at Alabama. Just because of the way the game went, it – Never really felt like an upset. Davidson controlled the entire game from the start. They led wire to wire, and they just looked like the better team the whole time. And that's and that's definitely what you know. You, you kind of look for when you're when you're looking at these teams. Are they comfortable playing against that competition? And Davidson was also Davidson took 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 that game on like three days' notice. Bama had a game scheduled against someone else. They got canceled because of COVID, and they took that game on three games notice, and they went over to Alabama and played. And then they had a game back at home the very next day. So they traveled over there, and then right after the game, they traveled back to Davidson, and they, they played a non-D1 opponent, but still being able to – it was at, like, noon. They played Bama that night, came back. They played someone at, like, noon. I mean, they beat the crap out of them. They are playing non-D1 team, but um, – I guess, I guess kind of going off of that to, to wrap up this conference – what do you think Davidson's ceiling is? And to build on that, is Davidson going to be ranked at any point, you think? Man, it's going to be hard for them to be ranked. I don't think they'll be ranked at any point this season, but I think they'll easily get in the tournament. Whether they win the conference tournament or not, I think they'll easily get in the tournament. That Bama win is going to carry a lot of weight. I think even if Bama doesn't do – Great in the SEC, they'll still have a good uh, resume and they'll get in the tournament, and that's going to be a big uh, notch on their belt. No, I don't think they get ranked at any point this year. 
because I don't think any of these other A-10 teams are going to reach the brink of getting ranked either. Yeah, that's that's fair. They they can be an eight. I I I'd probably see their ceiling as an eight nine seed. I'd say I'd say ceiling six. I, I think if they really catch, they'd have to run the conference. And, and they just dominate the eight ten. They can be a six seed, and with the way with the way Hamilton plays, that's out of the question. That being said, you know they still have to go to BC. There's a lot of hard games in this league. There's a lot of hard games and a lot of hostile environments. And, and, and you know, people don't realize what the college basketball is. If you're a school like VCU, that is your football. Game. Yep. That is that is the biggest thing on campus. It's... Nobody wants to go to VCU. No one wants to go to Bonaventure. No one wants to go to St. Louis. Anybody in the country? No, St. St. Louis. Also, shout out to the Drake Bulldog. Not not Drake, the team. You know, the actual Bulldog. Like them, the actual Bulldog. He sh- he sits he sits in his lawn chair every single game, court sun, just chilling. All right, Casey. So I was yeah, I thought we could wrap up this podcast with a little pick'em. I picked out some of the biggest games over the next week before we meet again, and uh. Just get your thoughts on these games. So tomorrow we have Tennessee at Alabama. You know, a part of me wants to pick Bama because they're ceiling this year, but they just haven't been shooting. And coming out of Christmas break, I kind of see that continuing. This game feels like it's going to be a Tennessee style of game, and Tennessee's going to take it. I like Tennessee as well. Tomorrow we also have, I think it's going to be an incredibly close game, Seton Hall at Providence. You take this one. I think this is two very well-matched teams. I think Providence hasn't been getting enough respect nationally for the things they've been doing. And, man, I think this really just comes down to home court, and I'll take Providence at home court. Uh, I believe this line is Seton Hall minus one and a half, so the book's expected to be kind of a coin flip game as well, come down the last possession, and I'll take Providence in this game. It, it, it feels a little early for Providence to start doing well, wait until the Big East tournament, and then Ed Coley's really going to get the boys humming. That's what he does. Give me the Pirates. All right, and then Saturday we have Baylor at Iowa State. Is Baylor going to win by double digits? Yeah, Baylor Baylor's going to run with the chip. I think so, too. I think they're going to win by 20 points. And then, I don't expect any Cyclone fans out there. But no, I think they'll have a good season because there's going to be a lot of weak teams in the Big 12 that they'll be able to run through. The Big, the big 12 is extremely tough. Extremely and then uh, for a Sunday matinee, we have Wisconsin at Purdue. Give me, give me Purdue. What do you think the spread's going to be in that one? At Purdue, I'd probably say the spread's going to be 7 or 8. And I would actually take Wisconsin to cover that spread. I, I think Purdue's going to win. But Purdue's had the tendency this year to you know run out early. And then once they get out there, get a little bored. And just not keep their same level of concentration on the offensive end. Get sloppy with the basketball. They're not a great defensive team. 
I think they need to round into great being a good, at least a good defensive team by the end of the year. And they can do that in the Big Ten. You know, they'll have a lot of tests to do that. But I'll take Purdue, but I'll take Wisconsin plus whatever the points are in that game. But, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to go into Purdue and win games this year. Give me, give me Purdue, and I'd say the spread's going to be six. And I'd probably take I'd probably the six as well. Purdue's, Purdue's just got too much firepower. They do. That's all I got for you today. Yeah, uh, I don't have anything else either. Um, we're gonna we're gonna march on in this in this fight. And I will say one thing I'm disappointed in is uh, Arizona is one of my favorite teams in the country, and they were supposed to play UCLA and USC this week, and they both got canceled. They will be postponed. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully, Hopefully, when we reconvene you next week, we'll have a lot more games on the schedule. Yes, we'll have games on the schedule, we'll have teams boosted, and herd immunity going, and Will Wade's already said the boys are boosted. They already got boosted uh, last Thursday, he said. Boosted up. Boot up. Anyways, see ya.